Hey guys, you know one of the biggest, largest, most massive real estate title companies suffered a breach of nearly 900 million homeowners' files, which that means nobody's safe. Your home title, mortgage, bank loans, and personal info, they could right now be in the hands of identity thieves. You don't know. Well, what they can do with that, if you're wondering, is they can forge your home's title so that it appears that you sold it. Then what they're going to do is they're going to get loans from lenders, usually online, using your equity, and stick you with the payments. And no identity theft program or insurance covers you. You know, somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, what about title insurance? You listen, this is a whole new game here. The first 30 days after a breach of your security and your home title are so crucial. Listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you title protection on your house, 30 days protection for free. If you go to HomeTitleLock.com, you'll get 30 days of free title and mortgage fraud protection. Home Title Lock is going to put a virtual barrier around your home's online title to keep thieves away. No obligation. So go do it right now. Great service. Register your address now to verify that you're not already um, a victim. In the next 30 days, you're going to get free protection. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com. Go there right now. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Chad Prather Show. Good to be with everybody back here in Studio Twenty Two. Always interesting. I love the days that we can have guests in here, and we got a great one today. Going to introduce you to him in just a minute. Of course, sitting over there, avidly on their phones in the Peanut Gallery, we got Barn Burn and Brandon and Party Foul Steve. This is going to be a conversation you guys don't need to join into today because we're going to let the adults speak. Okay, we're going to let the the, the smart people, the, the the people with it with a huge IQ and EQ, engage in this conversation. Why are you looking? Why are you guys looking at me like that? You you know good and well you don't know anything. I know a bit. <laughs> you don't know anything. Yeah. Anyway, but the, but then to my right, of course, I have the puppet master Mark, who's who's flying this starship here in the studio, and again, Candice, the queen of the Ethiopians, who uh, she is actually the brains behind all of this. You guys doing okay today? Yeah, we're gonna have. We're doing good. Yeah, doing great. Guys, I love how you guys always nod when we're on a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I forget that, you know, some people don't watch the video, which they can actually <laughs> do. So, Hey, if you're watching the video and you happen to be on Facebook, I know hundreds of thousands of people watch this thing on Facebook. Do me a favor, go over to YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Chad Prather. It's real simple. Hit the little notification button after you subscribe. So you, that's that little bell at the top. Hit that thing so it gives you a little ding every time a new video comes up. You're going to get one Monday through Thursday, and sometimes we'll throw some surprise elements in as well. Uh, but check them out. We can count those. Facebook's a little bit hard to count as far as the analytics, but we'd like it on YouTube and, of course, wherever podcasts are offered, and you can certainly visit watchchad.com, find me out on the road. We're heading out. We're going to be doing some shows in Texas, going to be down in the Houston area in Stafford on June 14th, going to be in San Antonio on the 15th of June, and then the 16th, Father's Day, over in Huntsville, Texas. Don't pick up hitchhikers in Huntsville, Texas. They probably are prison break people. So, uh, And then uh, got uh, got a show on the 29th in New Braunfels, so we're going to be hanging out. That's actually going to be a live album. We're going to add some of our fun music that we do in that. So go to watchchad.com, check us out on the road. We're going to have a fun summer. I have on Skype a guy that you're going to fall in love with and a guy that I want you to get to know. I don't want you, I, I want you to hear with a real open mind here. We're going to have a fun discussion. I read his book over the weekend and, I, and I've been perusing a lot of articles that I truly, um, I don't understand the articles, but I understand what this guy says when we're talking about genetic engineering. And you hear that word, and you're like, what in the world does that mean? We're going to talk about that today. He's the author of the new book. It's very successful. It's going to be even more successful, and everyone needs to read it, called Hacking Darwin. 
all the way from New York, Jamie Metzl. Jamie, thanks for being on the show, buddy. Hey, thanks, Chad. Great to be here. What has been the what has been the uh, response when you write a book talking about genetic engineering and the future of humanity? Now, that's something we all have stock in. I like to think. I mean, we're we're all people. What's been yep. the response to to this book? Well, it's been great. Um, and certainly I've gotten a lot of attention. As you know, I was on the Joe Rogan show. That interview has been downloaded about three million times and I've reached all kinds of people and I'm thrilled about that. But for most people, science is scary. You hear a word genetics and people think, oh, I don't know if we're allowed to say SH whatever words on this, but oh, <laughs> yeah. shoot. I remember, I remember science in high school. I didn't like it. I was scared. And when I, when, the reason why I've written this book, the reason why I'm going around the country and I'm doing shows like yours is what we're the, the genetics revolution. It's going to touch all of our lives in a really intimate way. And if everybody can't be part of the conversation, we're all going to be worse off for it. So the people who, who are reading my book are really loving it. And it's not just the NPR crowd. I mean, this, these are I'm getting messages from people all around the country and all around the world who are saying things like, I never read a science book before, but I saw you on a podcast. I thought I would take a crack at it. And it was fun and interesting and it was funny. Uh, and so that that's the, the kind of stuff that I really appreciate. One guy, I got a message on Twitter yesterday um, that he had this book. He read the first chapter. He was really excited. He put it down for a second and his dog came and, and ripped it to shreds. <laughs> anyway, so we sent we sent that guy a, a new copy. <laughs> I love it because so I read I'm reading through the book and I told you this before we got started. I love that you can take just a plethora of information and examination and research. You make it humorous, which I appreciate, and you make it a real palatable, easy pill to swallow. And it's very conversational. It's very co down to the core. I mean, I, I love the part where you've you got a whole chapter in there talking about, you know, doing away with sex and how this could ultimately lead to that. You have to go to the masturbatorium and, and things like that. And I'm like, <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm like, this is fun. This guy, you know, it's, it's <laughs> funny you talk about the masturbatorium in the first first draft of the book, the opening scene was me going to the masturbatorium in the fertility <laughs> clinic. And my editor, who's like amazing, she said, you know, there are some readers who are just going to open the book and you're straight in the masturbatorium um, <laughs> and they're going to like that. But there are some readers who aren't going to really like that. So why don't you put it back a few chapters, let people get to know you first. It's like it's the equivalent of like, why don't you start with like a drink and some conversation? Yeah, let's lubricate. Let's lubricate. No pun intended. Let's get everybody lubricated before <laughs> before we get into that point of the thing. Yeah. But I love it because it's real and it's it's a it's a it, you, you come at it from a. You're talking about genetic engineering of humans from a very human standpoint, you know, a very fallible uh, approach to it. And I like that because it's it's a humble approach. But let's talk about this thing because you've got a heck of a background. I mean, you're a geopolitical expert. You work for National Security Council, what, in the Clinton administration? Clinton administration, yep. And then you worked with uh, in the in the Joe Biden office, right? So, right. So you got a, a quite a resume. And then, you you know, you're a technology futurist. A sci-fi novelist. You've got, you know, this this book, Hacking Darwin, and you, you've you've authored a number of different things. And the way we looked at it is is you know you got Elon Musk that revolutionized is revolutionizing the transportation industry. You got Jeff Bezos who's revolutionized the consumer industry, and you're kind of doing you know you're you're doing the same kind of thing. The the opportunity that's going to hit the market with designer DNA. So what does that yeah, mean? So, what does that look like? 
Sure. So um, let's go back a little bit. Uh, everybody knows genetics that uh, that from the moment we are a fertilized egg, our first cell, we have a blueprint of who we are and it's written in code. And that code is uh, is our DNA and that's our genetic code. Um, and every cell in our body has this same blueprint and that's how we become who we are. And that's really, really important. Um, and we've evolved based on this model for about four billion years. And where we are now um, is for the first time ever, we are at the beginning of having our species, having the ability to read, write, and hack our genetic code. And that's going to change everything in just a deep and fundamental way. The first thing that it's going to change, and people are starting to experience this, is our health care. Uh, we're going to have health care based on an understanding of who we are as individuals, not just that we are, are humans. And so we'll get drugs that work just for us. Um, and then it's going to change the information that we have. A lot of people have done their mouth swabs and sent them into companies like 23andMe, and you get some interesting information. How accurate do you think those are, Jamie? Some... Oh, sorry. How, on, how, how accurate do you think those are? The, the DNA testing. a little testing. bit accurate, and so there's some things that are more accurate than others. So, uh, for example, you get information back on things like a carrier status. So there are a lot of, of diseases that are caused by just a single letter of DNA being off. And whether it's Tay-Sachs disease or sickle cell disease or Huntington's disease, there are about 7,000 of these that we, that we know about or that we know about and can do something about. Um, and so if you get information about carrier status, that's really useful. If you get information about your, your ancestry, it's, it's kind of directional. It's not that accurate, but it's, it's directional. And then when you get stuff like, oh, you have long twitch muscles and you could be a marathon runner right now, that's baloney. But in the future, <laughs> in the not distant future, you're going to get some really actionable information. Like you have a better than average uh, chance of being an incredible abstract mathematician or a really fast sprinter. And we're going to have to think deeply about how we, how we use that information. And we don't, on one hand, go crazy. On the other hand, how we don't think that we're all genetically determined because we're part genetics and we're part environment. And the, the mystery of life is in that mix. I always love talking to guys like you because you're looking at genetic uh, alterations and making yourself better. And you're already an ultra marathon and a tri and a triathlete, which really pisses me off, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> like you're already a perfect specimen and you're just making yourself you know, better so, through science. It, it's so not true. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm um, uh, uh, doing this interview from my apartment. Uh, my girlfriend, I can she, I can hear her milling about, and she could even come on and, and give you a list of reasons why that's not true. <laughs> so I had a conversation over the weekend with some folks who are, you know, they work with veterans. They work with a lot of uh, folks with autism and things like that. And, and we, yeah. we brought up the conversation of stem cell research and, and receiving, like, stem cell injections. This is what you're talking about is far beyond what we're talking yeah, about so, here. So stem cells is connected um, but what we're talking about is is much broader than stem cells. So as as many of your listeners know, stem cells are the cells in our body that make more cells of the same type. Uh, everybody knows that like your skin, for example, you're constantly shedding skin cells and you're making new skin cells. And those stem cells are the cells that enable that uh, that to happen. And so there's a whole field of science of how do we do something called regenerative medicine. So if something is breaking down, how can we make sure that your body is better at producing that thing that you need? Yeah, and through this conversation, I'm going to ask you questions from my 
from my place of ignorance, but I think it's a place that a lot of people are going to ask those questions. So yeah. obviously, obviously and correct. It's not ignorance. But... We're all ignorant. I mean, we're, the, the, what we're talking about is so big. It's so complicated that we're all kind of like the blind people touching the elephant. And so yeah. the only way we're going to get anywhere, the only way we're going to learn anything is if we share the information that, that we have. And, and some of that, yes, is scientific information, but some of it is just experiential. And that's why conversations like this are so important to me. Every single person, every one of your listeners has something really important to say in this in this conversation. And because I don't think anybody listening to this, if you if you said to them, hey, there is a way that we can engineer your DNA so that at, say, some onset of dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that, they wouldn't be awfully tempted to say, OK, what can we do about this? Is that well, potential? Everybody would say that right now there's a whole category of new treatments for cancer, for example, which are called T-cell therapies. And basically the way it works is when you're younger, you're, the cells in your body do a better job of fighting off cancers. But when you get older, um, your cells just – they don't – your cancer-fighting cells don't work as well. So what they're doing with people who have certain types of cancer, they're taking their cells out, with you, usually through blood – they're then altering your own cells to give your cells extra natural cancer-fighting capabilities. And then they put those cells back into your body. And all of a sudden, you have enhanced cancer-fighting superpowers. And so everybody is going to, going to want that. Um, and there, there's a whole category of treatments called gene therapies, which are based on this model. You, you super-empower your cells to do things. And that's the, the whole point of this is that the healthcare applications, that's the entry level stuff. People, we're going to get very, very comfortable with genetic technologies because it's going to be how we do healthcare and we're going to be grateful for it. But the healthcare applications of, of genetic technologies and of the genetics revolution are just one station along the way to where we're going. I mean, this is really a much more profound revolution that's going to change the way we make babies and the nature of the babies we make and, and over the longer term, our, even our evolutionary trajectory as a species. Yeah, I want to get into that further in just a little while, but you talk sure. about this this revolutionary nature of it becoming more and more available. You know, and, and I look at certain things, cancer as well, but, you know, we always looked at things like HIV and AIDS being the plague that was, you know, it's a virus that's incurable, but now people, you know, HIV is treatable now. It, and yeah. we're seeing that people are, you know, all these different things are taking effect and, and they're not dealing with the consequences of that. And, and what I want to know is when, you, when you're looking at that, how accessible is it? So I know that there's like the do-it-yourself CRISPR kits now. Uh, the right. CRISPR is, is, I guess, the what is it? CRISPR-Cas9? Well, CRISPR-Cas9, that's one of the – that's the, the most well-known tool of using CRISPR, which is the most well-known um, approach to doing uh, precision gene editing. It's like, a, it's like word processing for our genome. Because I've read a lot of articles on there, and, I, and I'm trying to get my head wrapped around these folks who are collecting bacteria, putting it in a Petri dish in the refrigerator, and hoping that the little spots show up. So they, And so I'm like, so, okay, so where do you go from there? You know, how, what are we doing without, with that science experiment? Right. Yeah, yeah. So the one thing, if, if um, all your listeners don't do human genome editing experiments on yourself, your body is a sacred ecosystem. Um, but... Um, having said that, so this gene editing tool, and we've had gene editing 
for about a decade. But this new tool, CRISPR-Cas9, is so incredibly powerful. And so right now, the main applications are in research. And so what we're doing is creating, uh, particularly in model organisms, so you have a mouse or a monkey or a fruit fly, and you can knock out a certain gene to see what it does. And that is creating a much greater understanding of what genes do and how they, they function. And then that leads into a series of applications. There's lots that's happening in the, in the agriculture world, whether it's uh, genetically engineered crops. I mean, there's the traditional GMOs that a lot of people talk about, but now there's using precision uh, gene ed editing to turn off and off genes within, uh, within specific crops. And there are animal applications, even in, in animals as complex as cows. And then last year in China, there was the first application of precision gene editing um, to humans, which a very, in my view, unethical Chinese scientist genetically altered the embryos of what became two little uh, girls who were born in China uh, last October. So this, this science is moving very, very quickly, and it's going to touch us in some pretty deep and intimate ways. And you mentioned unethical. So so at what stage do we begin to police this? Do we regulate this? Yeah. Are there, you know, what's being done in that regard? Or are people just globally running roughshod? Because you say China, yeah. well, we can't regulate what's going on in China. Right. And you talk about, and I think you even talk about it, you've talked about it in articles. I'm, I'm trying to recall if I right. read it in the book or articles where you talk about, okay, sure. well, what if one country's doing this and another country's not doing that? Yeah. Now you have one country that's actually genetically superior to the others. How do you, how, does that, how is that policed? Is it possible? Yeah, and so that, that's a really important issue. I was in uh, Washington speaking to members of Congress last week. I'm part of a World Health Organization Advisory Committee on Human Genome Editing, and this is one of the most important issues. So there are two sides of it. One is uh, now we're at the early stages of this revolution. How do we make sure that nobody is doing unethical human experiments? I mean, that these are real people um, we need to be really careful and we need to be prudent. And if and when uh, this technology gets to the point, which I think will be sooner rather than later, that parents are going to want it because they believe that there is some kind of advantage, whether it's healthier kids or kids with certain outstanding capabilities and governments want it, how do we make sure we don't get into an environment where there is a, a genetic arms race, an arms race of, of the human race? And what we need to have is one, every country needs to have its own regulations and those regulations need to be well-functioning both to prevent abuses and to encourage the kind of good, helpful development of these technologies. But we also need to make sure that one, every country has its own regulation and there's an international system that can try to at least establish norms of what is and, and what is, isn't okay. But it's particularly difficult in the context of this US-China rivalry because China is seeing advanced technology, including genetics and, and biotech, as its way, leading in those areas, as its way of leading in the 21st century. And so we better have a, a pretty d a deep process for figuring this stuff out or real problems could arise. Yeah, it's time to start building a whole bunch of uh, super soldiers like Captain America. we got to load these guys up. I mean, we, we gotta, know, this is what we're talking one, about here, Jamie. That's one way. And, and you know, it's funny. I'll, so I've done, I've advised the U.S. military, and they had this thing where they – were uh, bringing a bunch of a small number of futurists uh, down to Washington to meet with uh, people in, in the military and other quote unquote agencies, you can guess who they are, um, <laughs> to talk about this. And they broke us up into groups and the different groups came back and said, well, here's what we do. And so one group came back and they said, well, we have this plan for making super soldiers. And so I said, all right, so 
nothing else changes and you have these super soldiers, um, tell me what ca uh, capabilities they have. And they say, all right, you know, this guy um, is, uh, he's like super strong. All right, we're going to shoot that guy. And this guy can hold his breath underwater. All right, we're going to shoot that guy. And basically everything, if you have the, the society that's more technologically advanced, you have the advantage over the other side, even if they have super soldiers. So what we're talking about in many ways is super societies. That how do we think, like if we are thinking of this in a competitive context, and if we have the ability to make, if societies have the ability to make themselves more competitive, what does that look like? In one of my novels, Genesis Code, I, I write about this, where just imagining that China has a secret genetic enhancement program where they're breeding these super babies, they're sorting them uh, based on who, which, uh, which of these newborns has the increased capacity for a certain function, whether it's science or math or engineering or business or fighting or whatever. And then putting those kids into these specialized schools and then seeing who are the best performers. I mean, if you thought of, of the world like, kind of like um, Plato did in, in Plato's Republic, you could see how these technologies could be abused. And that, that's, it's kind of frightening. It's yeah. kind of frightening, but when you take a step back, you think, oh, geez, maybe, like, could that work? And that's why we need to be having these conversations now about what are the limits, how far are we comfortable going, and how far is too far? Because I think of, of course, you know, here you have China, which, of course, is known for its human rights violations. Anyway, they're overpopulated. They have way more people than I mean, they could do experiments all day long on people and no one well, would know about it because it's a state. Yeah, government. And they have a different a different culture around what is and isn't OK. I mean, exactly. there's lots of experiments that are happening in China that couldn't happen here. I wasn't at all surprised when these world, the world's first uh, gene-edited human babies were born in China. As a matter of fact, I've been predicting that for, for years. So they have a different culture, and they have a ton of money, they have brilliant scientists, and their focus on regaining um, global leadership in science and, and, uh, and technology. So there's, there's a lot to worry about. See, I love to take it to, to a fanciful, entertaining extreme and point out things yeah. like, because I see this, as you said, in the way I look at it is you have a catch-22 here with a very slippery slope. I mean, there's, there's some directions that it could go that could be scary. And I, I recall, yeah. you know, the recent movie Overlord, you know, where the Nazis built these, you know, genetic super soldiers in there and they couldn't perfect the the deal, you know, and they're bringing people back from the dead. And I don't know if you saw that movie or not. It's, it's kind of that sight. Yeah. It's like creepy kind of deal. And, I, and I'm seeing the same thing because it was yeah. their their quest to create super soldiers and and we're talking a lot further than, okay, I'm going to have a baby and I want to make sure that, that she has green eyes. Because, because again, yeah, that's, we, that's yeah. what we're talking about. And so in, in, on the minor aspect, when we're talking about, for lack of better terms, designer babies, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want to do and create this child I want. Taking it all the way yeah. to the to far away is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so, so the thing is, it'll happen in stages. So the first step... Um, will be that people will recognize that right now about 3% of all newborns are born with some kind of, of harmful genetic abnormality. And so we're going to be able, once we, we start changing the way we conceive as humans from through sex to through IVF, which is we can talk about that, and then we're going to be able to reduce that 3% to some significantly lower number. So there are going to be a lot of parents who say, well, a 3% risk of some kind of dangerous genetic abnormality, that's, that's something. And so that's why we're going to see this transition to more people having kids through IVF and using embryo screening. 
And then once we see that transition, there are going to be all of these other options that people are increasingly going to have that we're going to be able, let's say you have 10 or 15 embryos in the process of, uh, of, of IVF, you're going to be able to have a pretty good guess about which of those is likely to live a longer, healthier life than the others, which is likely to have a higher genetic component of IQ, which is likely to be taller, to be more outgoing, whatever, whatever the thing, if the, there's a trait that has a genetic or partly genetic foundation, we're going to be able to predict it, not with 100% accuracy, but with increasing accuracy. And the basic mathematical formula, which is pretty simple, is that human beings are incredibly complex. But we've been this complex for millions of years but our technology is not, it's not fixed at this same level. Our technology is and will always continue to be um, more and more sophisticated and capable. And at a certain point, um, we're going to be able to really manipulate all of life, including our own, and, and we're going to need to have a pretty strong value system in order to, to use that wisely and not abuse it. So if you were to take the human body, let's say a baby, an embryo, you know, an unborn child, and look at it from the perspective of, of, say, the IT world, you know, gene editing, is it like a software update? I mean, are you just building a better computer, or do we have this obligation to work out the bugs and the kinks and the and you know what I'm saying? The, yeah, uh, viruses. yeah and, and this is really sensitive stuff. I'll say that, that, I mean, what we're talking about, this is life. And so the idea is when some people hear about gene editing, they kind of imagine you know, people at a computer and then you have a list of 500 traits and you think I'll take one of these and one of these. It's really complicated. So that, I don't think that is going to happen. But the way it's going to work is you'll go through IVF, you'll have your 15 embryos, uh, you'll select among them based on whatever your criteria are, and then um, there'll be a small number of, of single point um, changes that could be made, and increasingly people will want to do that. That's not going to happen in five years. It'll start to happen you know, certainly within 10 years, and it's not going to be mainstream maybe for 15 years, um, but it's coming. And so what people are going to want to do uh, is to reduce risks and risks of you know, terrible genetic diseases will be the, the first, but also to confer benefits. This guy in China who genetically altered these, um, these embryos, it wasn't eliminating an existing risk. These kids would have been born fine. What he was trying to do was to confer additional resistance to, uh, to HIV. And so this stuff, it's going to get very complicated. Yeah. And, and so let me get into this. Let's dig into the dirt a little bit because, yeah. you know, like I don't know if you're a theist, atheist, agnostic. I don't know where you come from from that from a worldview standpoint. But obviously, you know, if you take it to a little bit further, because you made the comment a minute ago, you said this is life. It's a tricky situation. Yeah. And I yeah. think it is. I mean, you talk about that genetic code being implanted as soon as the chromosomes are connected, you know, the ovum and the sperm. Yeah. So, right. so we're talking about a conception process. From a spiritual, yeah. theological, philosophical standpoint, let's say somebody is, is avidly pro-choice. And yeah. now they have this kind of technology to alter life in such a way. Does that right. make that debate even stronger in terms of whether it is philosophically or morally correct or right to, to, yeah. to abort babies? So I have so much respect for people who are thinking about life and when it begins. And what I keep saying is this is a human issue. This technology is real and it's coming, but how we use it is up to us. And so we need to make sure that we're having a conversation 
that includes everybody. And everybody means whether it's pro-life traditionalists, whether they're Christians or otherwise, or transhumanist biohackers on the other on the other side who think there should be no limits. Um, This is really serious stuff. And um, there is no doubt that if you believe that life begins from the moment of conception, that there's no difference between a single cell fertilized egg and a 30 year old human and that and that um, uh, that having doing something that interferes with the life of that single fertilized egg that you, you couldn't even see is the same as executing a 30 year old person. I mean, that that really is a complicating factor. And it's going to be very difficult to to find this kind of balance. And maybe there are some people who say, well, there is no balance to be had. Um, and but you, then we ask the question is, why is it that pro-life demonstrators are picketing in front of clinics that perform abortions, but not in front of fertility clinics where people are going for IVF? And I think part of that answer is that people see how the how fertility and, and advanced modern fertility um, treatments are creating the miracle of life for people in their churches, in their communities. You see older parents, uh, high risk parents who are able to have kids. And that's really, really wonderful. So I think in people's minds, they're already recognizing that maybe there is some kind of, uh, of trade-off that we need to make in the name of life. And there are some people who believe that the application of science to humans is unethical. I mean, maybe this is like a traditional Christian science view that we should just leave everything to fate. And there are other people who think that you know science is a capacity that we humans have developed, and we need to use it to make our world better, to make our 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 children safer, and um, but that we need to use it wisely. And that's why I would never um, exclude anybody from this conversation, and it's why I'm I'm spending so much energy to try to to engage people of all backgrounds and all traditions and all faiths. Yeah, and you do a good job of that in the book. I, I got to admit, you know, because I think people approach this topic and they approach the subject with their mind already made up. You do yeah. a good job of breaking that down so that it's not an either or, it's a both and scenario. And I, I, That's what I hope. Yeah, That's and, I, and I think you do a good job with that. And, and it breaks down the arguments and it's well thought out. What I'm curious about, just for just for my and giggles here is is how much oh, so we can't say we, yeah yeah we got we got good editors we, we can and it's all about <laughs> and giggles so we, we uh, the what i want to know is my assumption is and i'm curious to know how much from the theological side of things the opinion how much pushback have you gotten from the the faith-based people yeah so far i haven't i haven't received so much of a pushback from the faith uh, community but I also feel that the the people who are reading my book are more people like there are tons of people uh, come from the Joe Rogan interview, people who are seeing my interviews. What I really am hoping um, is that some of these more traditional communities, the evangelical communities are going to be having conversations, more of them uh, of them reading uh, reading the book, because like I said, this this science is coming. We can't close our eyes to that just fact. Um, but everybody needs to be part of the of the conversation. I've been reaching out um, without so much success uh, yet to evangelical pastors saying, hey, I'd love to send you a book. I'd love to to have a conversation. I'd love to join your podcast. 
because everybody needs to be uh, to be part of this. And it's tricky. And there's some people who said a critic who have criticized me to say, hey, why don't we just not say anything about this topic? Because that's what happened with with um, IVF is nobody was having a debate really about IVF. And then all these new babies started showing up and people said, hey, that's that's pretty great. But if we had had the conversation at the very beginning of IVF, should we do it or not? Maybe people would have had a, a different view. But my position is this is so serious. We're talking about the future of life. Nobody we can't pull a fast one on each other. Yeah, Every, this is it's we are all humans. Everybody needs to be part of the conversation. Is it going to be a harder conversation uh, if we have you know, if we include the, the you know, pro-life uh, traditionalists on one side and the, the biohacking transhumanists on the other and try to find common ground, that makes it much more difficult. But what other what other option do we have? I know there's going to be those out there that continually, and especially as this conversation grows, and it is going to grow. I mean, Jeff Bezos started Amazon at a table, you know, yep. with, with a paper sign up beside him. You see that old meme, and now he's you know, yeah. the richest guy on the planet. And, and, you, and you look at that, and you're right, it's coming. Somebody's going to deal with it. And that's why, whether people accuse you of talking about people playing God or whatever that may be, and, and you know, the, the worldview aspects of that, Somebody's going to do it. And I appreciate that about you, Jamie, because you're having an educated and reasonable conversation about this thing that is very responsible. And I think that's what has to happen because because come hell or high water, it's going to happen. Yes. And that's yeah, that's why everybody like I've written this book, as, as you mentioned, I just want everybody, anybody, if somebody's you know, driving a truck across the country, if somebody is working in a fast food or whatever, you are a human and you have the equal right to weigh in in this conversation as the top scientist in the world. But to do it, you just need, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know enough of the basics to be able to join the conversation. And so I've, I've written this book. So it's just like, just read one book and then you know what you need to know to just to to apply your own values and be be part of the conversation. So let's say let's say somebody comes out and, and of course everybody's talked about you know these days people have designer pets you know they they take the poodle and the labrador and they mix them together and they got the labradoodle right. and they've created this whole new you know species yeah. or just you know a whole new breed of dogs and things like that. And I, I, yeah. I I'm kind of I want to jump in I want to ask you a couple of questions that I think listeners sure. might ask just a real simple like if you take whether you believe in divine creation or evolution, right. is this, if, if you want to make a designer baby, I just love that term, actually. You know, I, yeah. want, I want a baby that comes out with a Gucci logo on its ass. You know, exactly. that's, that's what I want. Exactly. I want the Louis Vuitton across my, my you know, the, the rear end of my baby. Sadly. Yeah, exactly. This is an Italian baby. I, I'm completely Irish, but whatever. You know? <laughs> like the 23andMe thing, you know, back when we were talking about that earlier, when Elizabeth Warren got her results back and she was 1 in 10, 24th Native American, I said, yeah. I got to do this, right? And so yeah. I, I learned from that that I am 100% white. I mean, Scandinavian white. I there's nothing else there. I mean, it's just I'm British and yeah. Scandinavian. So here we go. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love making jokes about that. But, you know, you talk about designer. And what I say that when I say that is, OK, I want to make sure that my child is going to be. You remember those old graphs you used to in school? You had, OK, my father was a pure tall. My mother was a hybrid tall. And you did the little thing and you kind of came out right. with this equation of what you yeah. thought the kid was. Mental's ease. Yeah, right. What I thought yeah. I might be when it was all said and done. 
But these days you could you can you can genetically modify people to be a little bit taller. They can have the blonde hair. They can have the blue eyes. They could you know we can create our whole Aryan race if you will. You know if that's what we want. It, yeah, we can't do it yet. We can't do the, all those things yet. Yeah. But we're so close to being right. able uh, to doing them that we have to have the conversation now about yeah. how once we have those capabilities. How are we going to think about what what are the right and wrong ways to use them? But ultimately, that is the deal. I mean, that's what we're talking about yeah. is getting to that yeah. point where that's going to be coming. Yeah. So do you think that short circuits the process, whether, whether it's an evolutionary process or a creative process by a divine? Do you think we're short circuiting that in, in, in essence, playing God and putting our thumbprints all over something that was meant to come out? Yeah. You know? And, and, and yeah. to that, the, set, the addendum to that, is it diminishing that life? Yeah. So really great and important questions. The one is, are we playing God? And the answer to that has to be yes. But we've been playing God for a long time. Like if you think that what God wanted was humans to live like we did before we started applying technology to life, because that was the state that we were in. Well, then you think that God would want us to live kind of on average lifespan of about 20 years to die of all these terrible diseases, to be hunted by predators. I mean, th- those lies when we were living lives as just kind of as part of nature without applying our technology to change it, that was that's where we found ourselves. Yeah. But if you think that our use of technology and whether it's fire or medicine or agriculture or all of those things represent our this capacity that we have and wherever it comes from, if it comes from, from God, fine, our capacity to change the world around us. Well, then this is another example of that, that, you know, when somebody is on the verge of death and we save them through surgery or some kind of medical uh, intervention, um, we are playing God. And what we're saying now is that we're going to have, we're going to have new tools in this kit and we're going to be able to eliminate some really terrible deadly genetic diseases. And in my view, that's going to be a great thing. And so the question is, do we not play God? Is it, should we not play God or play God? I mean, if, depending on how you think about God, we are using our technology to change the world around us. In my mind, the question is, how do we do it wisely? And that leads to your second question is, is it going to diminish us? And the answer is it could. I mean, if we don't have a values framework for thinking about how to use these technologies and people are thinking about, well, I'm going to or, you know, order traits of my kid, like I kind of make place my order at Starbucks, that could be really dehumanizing. If we all end up wanting the same thing that everybody wants, some kind of tall, high IQ, affable child, that could actually be not just negative and diminish it, it could be dangerous because diversity is not just a nice to have. Diversity is our, the sole survival, our sole survival strategy as a species, you could say if we didn't have diversity, we'd still be single cell organisms. Yeah. But we wouldn't even be that because when the environment changed after this first spark of, of life four billion years ago, if that's what you believe, um, we would have just died. Um, so it's it's really complicated um, and it could diminish us. And that's why I'm, I'm talking to so many people is let's try to think of what are the values um, that we can apply to make sure that this helps us rather than harms us. That's why I love you, Jamie, because it's so your answers are so practical there. And you're exactly right. I mean, do we still want the bubonic plague? Do we want polio? These yeah. are things that are avoidable yeah. and beat. We don't have that anymore. So so I'm yeah. sure there were people in the Middle Ages who said, no, 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 we're not. This is God's plan. This is God's will for you. Right. And, and this is what. And so 
Uh, I, in fact, I know historically for a fact that those were the things that were said is, no, yeah. we're not going to fix this because that's how God designed you and that's how you need to be. But you lead right. to, to, to me, and this is a very interesting point that, I, that to me I want to bring up, and you, led, you alluded to it a second ago, is how it can be dangerous when you start modifying people and this is what you get. My question is this. I think that by and large, as human nature goes, that we are, and we've, history has told this with man's inhumanity to man, our racism, our prejudices, all these things. And, and we, 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 we tend to be afraid of or we persecute those and the things that are not like us. So, right. so you know, I, I recall that old movie uh, with Ethan Hawke in it, Gattaca, Gattaca, where they created yeah. that perfect society. And it wasn't so perfect, right. you know, right. and, and the only people who had favor were the ones who had that, those that were right. genetically supposedly perfect. Um, and, and the others were persecuted. So what I see is almost those folks who are genetically modified and who are being born, if that's identified, how much more are they going to get beat up on the playground in sixth grade when people find out that, oh, you think you're perfect? Yeah. So it could, it could happen. I mean, all these things are, are options. The future story is not yet written. And so we need to be part of telling it. And yeah. so it could be that those guys that the, the genetically altered people get beat up. It could be the not genetically altered people yeah. uh, get beat up. And that's, that is what is, is at, at play here. It could be uh, that only the wealthy and privileged have access to these technologies. We don't want that, but that's why we all need to weigh in now to say, well, what is it that we want? And to do that, it's, it's this kind of catch 22 because if we wait until there's a crisis, everybody will suddenly pay attention, but then it'll be too late because all of the big decisions will have already been made. But if we're trying to do what I'm calling for is say, hey, let's have a national and a global conversation about these topics now, it's not in the, in the top of people's minds because it's not yet a crisis. And so yeah. that's what I'm trying to do and why, and why you know this podcast and, and other media like this are just so important is to say, hey, like you can wait 10 years before this is, is facing you, five years, but why not educate yourself now? Why not have your voice heard now? Why not you be a hub of a conversation about these topics with your friends or your people at your church or your workplace or your mosque or synagogue or, or whatever? Like let's, let's try to do it now. Yeah. And, and I think I hear what you're saying is in regards to that. And I, my assumption would be that, that you, would, you would say that the creative – it far outweighs the destructive possibilities that are there with the right conversation. Absolutely. So this is, and it's hard for me to communicate about this because I can give an hour long talk and for 58 minutes, I'll say, you know, this revolution's coming. We're going to live longer, healthier lives. We're going to eliminate these terrible diseases, you know, that if we can add you know, four or five years of healthy living to older people before they get dementia, imagine how much love and innovation. And in the last two minutes, I'll say, but there's some potential downsides. We need to worry about issues of equity and diversity and, and human identity. And then at the end, people say like, we're all going to die. It's just, it's something <laughs> about human nature. Like you have to see a beautiful painting and there's a fly on it and you yeah. just, you have to look at that fly. So we have to look at the fly, but this has the potential to be an incredibly positive story. But there's some real downsides, and we need to be honest about that. I appreciate the argument on life. I really do. I, you know, I value I value life. It, it, it's one of those things where I think it makes a strong argument in defense of life, and and that's a big debate that's being had right now. We don't, we, you know, no need to get in all that stuff, but it's it's, you know, I just appreciate the angle, the smart, sharp angle common sense angle you come at this thing from jamie you've done a heck of a job 
And I could, I just can't encourage people enough to get Hacking Darwin, uh, Jamie's new book, Genetic Engineering and the Future of Humanity. You think, oh, it's going to be over my head. I promise you it won't. You, you've got yep. great vignettes. You've got great stories. You've got great summaries in there. I enjoy it. It's very practical. You deal with a lot of these questions. You know, are we playing God? Is, you know, do we, is, is sex going to be eradicated? Because, hey, we don't need it anymore to reproduce. You know, we can not to reproduce, but everyone should have as much sex as they can, just not for reproduction. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's like party foul. Steve, you know, he's sitting over here in the studio. We like to give party foul a, a good hard time over there. And I want to get I want you to get here's what we're going to do, Jamie. We're going to get a CRISPR kit. We're going to get a DIY CRISPR kit. I'm going to come to New York. I'm going to bring party foul Steve because he he's he, we love to pick on him. We're going to fix Steve. We're going to we're going to totally fix Steve. It's so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and when we do, Steve is going to be our ruler. So be nice to Steve now, because when Steve is enhanced, he's going to open a can of whoop ass on anyone who picked on See, him. That scares that. me right there. Yeah, that scares me. It should scare you the most. Because he's got road rage as it is. Like he lives with road no, rage. Yeah, exactly. We're going to enhance that. <laughs> and he's already, he can already out drink everybody and stuff like that. Can you imagine? He would just go all night. He would just never quit. And he already has a sex drive like a freaking stallion. So it's ridiculous. This guy. Oh my gosh, Jamie. Never mind. We're not coming to New York. We're, we're gonna keep. We're gonna You're keep. Most welcome. We're gonna. We're gonna keep Steve in the dark and just keep feeding him uh, the BS. No, I, that's. But see, there you go. That's a perfect example of where things could get real, real interesting. You know. Yeah. I just want to deal with the gout in my foot right now. Yeah. Well, no. This is going to get interesting. I mean, for four billion years, we've evolved by this set of rules. We call Darwinian evolution, and now for the first time ever, we are going to increasingly take active control of all of biology, and that's the world around us and the world within us, and it's going to have just huge implications for everything. Yeah, it's a fun conversation, scary conversation, uh, depending on where you take it. Definitely interesting, and Jamie, I, I'm glad that you're one of those guys that's sensible and is leading the conversation. So. Thank you for coming on with us and hanging out with us for a little while, man. I encourage everybody to go out there, find Jamie, follow Jamie. You're, uh, is it jamiemetzel.com? Yeah, so I have two websites. One is www.jamiemetzel.com, J-A-M-I-E-M-E-T-Z-L. Mm -hmm. And I have a, a, a website for the book, which is www.hackingdarwin.com. On the hackingdarwin.com site, I have a, a discussion forum because I don't want this conversation just to be me speaking and other right. people listening. I really want to hear from everybody. I want people to communicate with each other. So if you have, you read the book, or even if you don't read the book and you have a view, you can go to the hackingdarwin.com site and just share your view and then let yeah. somebody else respond to it and respond to them. I really, what I'm trying to do is to spark an inclusive national and even international conversation on this really important issue. And that's one of the things I always encourage our listeners and subscribers and viewers to do is get out of the echo chamber, allow things to challenge you, find things that you disagree with. It, and because I've always said, if you have a conviction and you read something that you disagree with or somebody says something that challenges you, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to change your mind effectively or it's going to solidify your conviction. So there's really no harm in being right. challenged. So I encourage people to go out there and do it. You don't have to agree with 100 percent of it. Um, but, you know, it's a conversation that's got to be had. And, and I'm so tired of people just sticking their head in the sand and saying, oh, if I just ignore it, it'll go away. This is not going away. It's a yeah, real, it's it's not a going real to, thing. And people put their head in the sand or they retreat behind the barricade. In my opinion, we all have our convictions. It's great to have convictions. But 
a really strong conviction allows allows you to challenge yourself every day and say, I have more information. Do I still believe this thing? And if you still believe it with more information, just like you said, you're stronger for it. And so we yeah. just need to be open to getting information and challenging ourselves and, and see where that takes us. Yeah. Jump on jamiemetzel.com, read the articles, get on hackingdarwin.com, get involved in the conversation, get the book, read it. Jamie, it's a pleasure, man. Hey, really great pleasure dude, of mine. Keep Thank those, you, Chad. Yeah, man, keep those people in New York sane. All right, it's just it's I'm crazy fine. up there. They, they, they a little got, crazy here, but uh, you got Texas Watson, Texans coming. <laughs> yeah, good luck. We, you, you got that Kansas City common sense, man. You got that Midwestern yeah, true. common sense. True, so keep keep pushing it forward, Jamie. Thanks for coming on. For those of you watching thank you for hanging in here with us it's an important conversation i encourage you follow jamie check him out go out there do your research read the book get it um and and follow him online as well i think we're just now in the embryonic stages no pun intended of this thing taking place and transpiring and it's coming folks so get out there and do it and uh that's why i love folks like this who will educate you challenge you stretch your mind help you think about things and really are conversation starters um, and, and it's a lot of fun for me. That's the way my brain works. Jamie, thanks for coming on. And for those of you on behalf of studio 22 and everybody sitting in here, we thank you guys for tuning in and hanging with us. We love y'all. God bless. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.